six billion people on Earth, most of them dead. This summer, mankind's final battle begins. George A. Romero's Land of the Dead. Rated R. Starts June 24th. Welcome to episode 20 of the Father and Son Watch Horror Movies podcast. We are a spoiler podcast. We spoil the movies we review, so be warned. And I am your co-host, The Father, a.k.a. Pastor Matt, a.k.a. Matt Rawlings. I am joined, as always, by my trusty co-host, Jackson the Son. And I just want you to ponder on the fact that the lead zombie in this movie was named Big Daddy due to a deliberate creative choice, so anything is possible. Oh boy, yeah, we gotta talk about that. Um, <laughs> there are a couple of creative choices in this we need to talk about, and you probably guessed we are reviewing George A. Romero's Land of the Dead. But before we get there, Jackson, I know uh, it's Halloween season, uh, you've been watching some movies, what have you been watching this week? I've been watching too many movies, I would say. Um, at least two a day, that's what I've kept to. One day I faltered, so I watched three the next day. Um, wow. Uh, just to go over a few, I mean, I've been watching a lot of uh, more classic movies. Like today, I watched an Abbott and Costello movie, and those are always fun. Um, oh, yeah. Manhunter, which I had never seen before, you know, the, oh, based on Red yeah. Dragon, which is the the predecessor to Silence of the Lambs. Um, and this isn't horror, but I think it's kind of horror adjacent. Joker, um, starring Joaquin Phoenix, directed by Todd Phillips. I saw that, thought it was... It's pretty good. Maybe not worth the 10 out of 10s that people are giving it on uh, IMDb, but, you know, it's whatever. Fanboying is a thing that exists. That What I've heard, because I haven't seen it yet, I haven't had a chance to go um, to the movies, largely because I'm on a keto diet and the smell of popcorn makes me, <laughs> drives me homicidally insane, which wouldn't be good in a Joker movie um, with everything going on. But I, um, I've heard that it's a good movie, but that Joaquin phoenix gives a great performance would that be accurate yep. that's exactly it he um whenever he's in a scene it's an amazing movie and whenever he's not in the scene it's other characters other than the joker it's not that great um i think it's just because his presence is so he's so um commanding whenever he's on screen that when he's not there the movie feels very absent so i think that's where a lot of people's problems with it lie gotcha well um, I rewatched uh, Scream the other night, probably for the 50th time, because <laughs> I'm working through the horror movies of 1996, and I still love it. Can't wait to cover that franchise at some point. I've been listening to the Pod and the Pendulum podcast, which covered the franchise, and now I feel like I need to rewatch Scream 4 because I didn't care for it at first, but they went really? on and on about it, so maybe I need to watch it again, yeah. It's got to be better than Scream 3. See, I didn't hate Scream Three. Mm, the voice modulator is that the one I'm the one I'm thinking of, where the character that is Ghostface is somebody that we saw at the beginning five minutes and not for the rest of the movie. Well, we'll we'll get to that at some point. But it's I I, I don't hate Scream Three. I'll just put it okay. that way. So um, the only the only thing I've got to say about that is everybody's a suspect. Well, yeah, that's that's Scream One, of course. That's that's Randy, Fantastic man. Movie. Oh yeah. Actually, one of my friends met Matthew Lillard recently. The guy that plays um, uh, the, that character that delivered the probably the most iconic line in that movie. Or oh. actually, what's your favorite scary movie? Is probably, but you know, that's like, that's up there. 
Well, I mean, Stu's line about how his mom and dad are going to be mad at him is pretty hysterical. But yeah, I, yeah, he's great, and, I, and, and I think we can all agree that he did a good job of live action Shaggy and Scooby Doo. Oh my gosh, I can't believe they made two of those. Oh man. Um, so I was also listening to the Shockwaves podcast on Friday, and they had a special guest. They were at Salem uh, Fright Fest, and they had John Kassir, maybe mispronouncing that, the original Crypt Keeper, running yeah. down their top five Tales from the Crypt episodes from the TV show. Awesome. And so I went and I bought the box set. I, I'm going <laughs> to probably be binge-watching Tales from the Crypt episodes because I forget how much I, I miss that. And yes, I've got season one. Tales from the Crypt has always been a favorite of mine. Um, and other ones, it kind of reminds me of, um, uh, are you afraid of the dark? I think that's the name of it. All those anthology, you know, like the twilight zone, um, offspring are all good. Oh yeah. We, and we should at some point talk about horror TV because I mean, I love Kolchak. I love night gallery, course, the twilight zone, the original series, the X files was my favorite TV show of the 1990s. So but anyway, I, after listening to Shockwaves, I was like, oh, oh, yeah, I remember that episode. Oh, yes, I remember that episode. Yes, I've got to see these again. And so um, I ordered the, the box set. But <laughs> um, So let's talk about Land of the Dead, a, a film that I'd only seen once and initially didn't care for, but I may have changed my mind. What are your initial thoughts about Land of the Dead? Well, I can, I can um, sympathize with you. I had only seen it once before. Uh, I, I don't remember hating it. I don't remember feeling any kind of way about it. It was just kind of, oh, it's a zombie movie. You know what I mean? I didn't think it was terrible. I didn't think it was fantastic. But rewatching it, I, I found a lot more merits than I initially suspected. Um, this is not the movie that I thought it was. It's not the middling cash grab uh, CGI bonanza that I originally thought it was. Um, this is very much like what would become the walking dead for me? I feel like it's more in that vein than of the original night of the living dead. Um, more similarities there. In fact, I think they even called the zombies walkers in this movie at, at one point, And then later stench stenches, whatever that means. Um, really? Yep. They call them walkers. Um, at, at some point, they also call them stenches. They, they never call them zombies. I don't think, um, I miss that. And it yeah. makes sense because of course, Greg Nicotero, you know, did the effects on Land of the Dead and, of course, is one of the co-creators of The Walking Dead, so that makes sense. Right. I, I think they only say it once. I, I think it's over a radio. Uh, they're calling it, and they're like, town's full of walkers. Um, they say that, and like I said, I don't know why they call them stenches. I guess it's because they reek, that, that, you know, they have a stench about them. But um, they call them They call them stenches a lot, but um, it's another one of those things where they can't just call him a zombie. It's got to be a ghoul or a stench or a walker. It can't ever be a zombie. Um, but I, immediately I was struck by the intro sequence. That that intro sequence is so cool. It pulled me right back in. I was expecting it to be cheap 2000s graphics, you know, how they like to do, um, with the swirling and swooshing and this early CGI 3D graphics like Sam Raimi's first Spider-Man. But it's tasteful. I feel like it's foreboding, and I feel like that's how, how this whole movie is. It's not. It doesn't feel uh, that much a product of its time. It feels timeless, in the same regard that Dawn of the Dead is. I mean, you can definitely tell it's a movie made in the late seventies, uh, but it's the story structure and the characters are timeless. So, um, if you don't mind, I'd like to just re recount the plot because it's kind of Go a strange one. Um. In this movie, 
the zombies now outnumber the humans. It's like the title suggests, it's the land of the dead. The humans lived in, live in these outposts guarded by the military, and the zombies, you know, everything else is their domain. The military is funded by this big eye-in-the-sky businessman named Mr. Kaufman, who is played by uh, the villain from Speed, Dennis Hopper. Um, you know, of course, his most famous role as Goomba or um, or uh, as uh, Koopa in the Super Mario Brothers movie. Fantastic oh, movie. Oh, Actually, oh, uh, oh no. <laughs> of note, of note, um, John Leguizamo is also in this movie, who played Luigi in the Super Mario Brothers um, classic. Uh, I can't hold it together any longer. That movie is awful. Um, oh, I, was, I was hoping you were going to say that because if, goodness sake. If, if you want to talk about a movie that's very much of its time, Super Mario Brothers movie, I don't, there's not one, not two, but I think three 80 cents pop sequences in that movie, as long as well as like 30 uses of the word rad. But, um, this he does a great job in this movie. I feel like he's almost the Randall Flag. If like in this apocalypse, uh, apocalyptic scenario, he's the Randall Flag of this version of the Stand, basically. Dennis Hopper is his Kaufman. Yeah, um, and he controls everything basically. He's he's a dictator because as soon as the zombie apocalypse started, he kind of used that to seize power with his wealth and influence, um, and. All of the rich people are holed up in this estate, this city estate called Fiddler's Green. And it's basically this utopian, this giant hotel with shops and restaurants. And it's just, you know, they, it doesn't even seem like it's during the zombie apocalypse. They're living it's, life as normal. It's basically the mall from Dawn of the Dead that all these people are comfortably lived in, right. living in better protection outside. Right, exactly. And they leave everybody else to kind of fend for themselves except for the people that have to supply them with food. Now, they have people that are in those outposts coming in and bringing them stuff, you know, selling them stuff, with the promise that perhaps someday they can join them, but that's never actually going to happen. It's a false promise, as we see with John Leguizamo, who is debatably one of our main characters. I would say he's not, judging by what happens to him later, but um, I would say he's really? one of the main characters. Um, and... He is a he's part of a, one of these outposts of humans who kill zombies and forage and sell the goods and they live in what is essentially a homeless colony. Just these people living, you know, in ten like they take roofs, like ten roofs and constructable houses out of them. They're living in basically like a depression era um village in the middle of the city, guarded by Dennis Hopper's uh, military which he's funding and as it's pointed out to us by the characters it's less of protection and more of like keeping them in um the military people are there to keep the people in line not the zombies um which is interesting but this movie is all about a class struggle essentially it's um it's very much about the poor and the outcasts trying to get a piece of um the rich and the elite and it's kind of hammering in that um, consumerism, capitalism message that we saw in Dawn of the Dead. Um, it, that This is taken to the extreme, where it's, it's more apparent as you're watching it. Um, we have human characters, which is the focus. And most interestingly, we have zombies, zombie main characters, namely Big Daddy, a mechanic um, working at a gas station. 
who has started to uh, lead the zombies. He started to remember who he was as a living being, and he's leading the zombies in a march of death against the humans. That's basically the plot. There's far more to it. This movie is what? It's, it, it seems like a long movie. I don't know if it actually is, but it seems like an epic scale movie, like the movie that uh, he was trying to create with Day of the Dead. Um, but yeah, lots going on here, lots of symbolism. So I'm interested to hear what you think. Well, it's interesting because you said that. I When I first saw this, I, I saw it about a year after it came out because I was practicing law at the time and didn't have time to go to the, the movies. I was working 80 hours a week. And I so I got it on DVD like um, a year after. I think I actually rented it from a blockbuster in Charleston, West Virginia, <laughs> when we lived there. And I uh, I watched it. And I watched it through the eyes of, at that time, a kind of a critique on the Iraq war, which was mm. going on. Um, you've got, you think about uh, Fiddler Green and, and um, Fiddler's Green and, and the surrounding area where the humans are. What do you have? You have a place protected by water um, where the, right. rich li- the rich live the only life worth living. And... They send off peons to go scavenger for supplies, which is how, at the time, a lot of people viewed the army going into Iraq for oil for to the rich. You had Steve Earle singing the song Rich Man's War in 2004 and, and, and so forth. Um, and so when I saw it that way uh, in 2000, probably in 2006, maybe even, um, I wasn't that impressed at the time only because it didn't sound like a unique voice because so many people were saying that, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was listening to Tom Morello say that I was listening to people on Saturday Night Live say that Steve Earle say that, um, over and over again, it was kind of the mantra that you heard if you turned on, you know, um, a lot of cable channels with the exception of Fox news or something like that. And so it didn't not to get into politics, but it, and it wasn't that I care, even if somebody disagrees with me politically, as I've stated before, as long as they have something to say, I don't care. I mean, you know, in the 90s, I, I worked for Republicans and, and still had Rage Against the Machine CDs. So, you know, it didn't <laughs> that doesn't uh, that doesn't bother me. Um, but at the time, it just seemed kind of tired by 2006. By the time I got around to it, this has been, you know, it was a constant mantra for a couple of years. So it didn't strike me as that unique. It wasn't until later on when I rewatched it and rewatched the bonus features. George Romero wrote this movie three days before 9-11. He delivered the script three days before 9-11. Mm-hmm. It just so happened that all that happened and it kind of fell in place. But that wasn't his intention. You were right. His original intention was really to talk more about class struggle and kind of the ongoing. And he picked up basically the ideas from Day of the Dead that he said he didn't get to explore as much in Day of the Dead to do in Land of the Dead. Yeah. You can definitely tell this is a continuation of the themes of Land of, the, of Day of the Dead. Um, I remember you talking about that on the last episode, and I didn't really see it before watching it this week. I was like, okay, maybe, you know, lots of zombies, zombies dominating the world. That's the only theme I could see. But when re-watching this, it's, it's kind of the same thing where the, the military and the elites are the, are the problem. The commanding officers, the commanding presences are the problem, and the zombies are just kind of, you know— they're just kind of by the wayside where the good humans are fighting more against the bad humans. And I think that's interesting because the most interesting struggles 
in this movie, the most interesting character developments are that of human character developments, even from the zombies, because the zombies are becoming more human. We're seeing less of that mindless horde of zombies killing a bunch of people and more of, you know, that that's what will happen to you if the guns don't get you first. And I think that's also a message that's in this movie. Um, there's a lot of um, gun imagery, like when Big Daddy picks up a gun from the person and takes it, and that that's like the turning point. I feel like Romero was trying to say something about about gun violence with the zombies learning to use guns and gunning down the humans because they had gunned down the zombies before. Um, and I also think there's a lot of symbolism with the one of the things that the humans do to keep the zombies from, you know, eating them is they will shoot fireworks into the sky, which distracts the zombies. And I'm wondering if that has to do with, um, like, people people in the, like, uh, societies focusing on something that's not important when the real danger right. is, um, you know, right in front of them. I'm wondering if that had some symbolism um, no, oh, absolutely. And you're saying a lot there. So let's break all that down before. Sure. Because I also want to get to the plot and the characters, the actors, the effects, you know, all that kind of stuff. Because there's a lot to talk about here. But um, yeah, I, I think that's what he was doing that you've got the zombies almost representing uh, the impoverished um, and, you know, who are being distracted. You know, by, you know, like I said, the fireworks or what do they call them? Sky flowers or something. Sky like. flowers. Yeah. And yeah. then you've got kind of the working class who are just kind of living in hovels. And then you've got the wealthy and then you've got the kind of military and paramilitary paramilitary serving the wealthy. And it's this class structure. And I think that's definitely Romero being a 60s progressive. That's definitely, <laughs> you know, what he was saying. And I think that's why you see more sympathetic zombies this time, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, and I was wondering originally um, why the zombies were such a focus in this movie. Why hadn't they been explored more before? I mean, we got Bub, but that's really about it. Before that, zombies were just, you know, kind of mindless ghouls. Um, watching it now, I feel like he, um, Big Daddy was what Bub was supposed to evolve into. We see the first traces of humanity there, and I feel like he felt like the symbolism wasn't fully... Um, fleshed out so he just cut straight to the chase with um, the impoverished basically coming into power um, and I, I'm I, I really yeah here the I, zombies are kind of Romero's kind of archetypal like um, 60s revolutionaries what he wished it right. was right when we talked about Night of the Living Dead you know a few weeks ago we talked about how one of the things he was saying with the zombies there was that they were kind of God's revenge and because humanity hadn't got along, the revolution hadn't happened, all these things in the 60s had occurred, but nothing had gotten better. And now he's kind of looking back, I think, with nostalgia, but what if it did work? And what if instead of the zombies are kind of God's unleashing of this kind of biblical judgment, instead they're like the revolutionaries he kind of wished had power from the 1960s. Mm -hmm. But I, I find it interesting that he's representing what he would associate with zombies, which had been the antagonists in the films prior. And you see in, the, in this movie, they're pretty dumb zombies. I'm wondering if he's blaming the fact that the revolution didn't occur on these dumb zombies who are willing to just, you know, lay down and die almost. The earlier ones, instead of like, instead of like uh, Big Daddy. But sure. you, you, yeah, and your point about Big Daddy... I'm not sure if 
if it's to be believed, um, the actor who played Bub in Day of the Dead, whose name escapes me right now, because every time I see him interviewed outside the Bub makeup, I think of Seinfeld because he was Elaine's <laughs> boyfriend in an episode. I think he's, I think it's the one where Kramer accidentally puts a junior mint in his stomach during a surgery. But um, he he said when he was interviewed on the special features of Dawn of the Dead that Bub um, originally didn't have that much going on and. He, it was his idea to kind of expand Bub, so maybe he's the one who expired Romero to run with, you know, Big Daddy sure. that way. And, you know, so, yeah, I, I think you're on to something, you know, there. And maybe that's why, at first, when I first saw this, I, I thought it was a little tired and, and, you know, and I, you know, all that kind of stuff. And now I, maybe I appreciate it more, especially now that we're farther away from the Iraq war, even though we're not completely out of the Middle East and and all that kind of stuff that I've learned to appreciate it. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I did. I do think that's what um, he was on to. I, I do think it was interesting, though, that so many people, um, I think even Roger Ebert, if I remember, saw this as a commentary on the Iraq War, and, and Romero had actually written it before 9-11. So mm-hmm. I think that's interesting. So I think you're right. right. I think it's more about class struggle if we're looking at Romero's intention. This was also the first dead movie where he had to deal with the MPAA. Yep. Yeah, you can definitely tell that a lot was cut out of this movie. Um, I think I saw the unrated, or not unrated, uncut, some kind of version of this that had a couple, it was even just a couple extra seconds, but for some reason for the MPAA, those extra, you know, frames cut out really matter. Well, yeah, I think that um, if I, if I remember correctly, the unrated version only has like two and a half extra minutes. Mm -hmm. So he didn't have to cut that much i don't know if george had just kind of chilled out by that point or 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 what but or maybe just because at this point you've already had saul and yeah, and yeah maybe that's what i was thinking Hoff, yeah, or cabin fever comes out that year right or is that 2002 that year it may have it's been hostile two- hostile 2005 and cabin fever 2002 i think so Okay, so that's yeah, what it was. Right. So Cabin Fever was out, Hostel was coming out, Saul was out. We had all these really grotesque gore effects. I feel like zombies weren't seen as extreme as, you know, the human enemy. Well, yeah, and of course by this time you've had all the Resident Evil video games and you know, right. all that kind of stuff. So Yep. I find that interesting that Romero created the modern zombie, and then the only reason that he came back into the pop culture, you know, relevance was through things that were inspired by him, like Resident Evil and all the zombie literature and, and movies. I feel like Land of the Dead would have never been made had the zombie not caught on and um, inspired all this stuff. Like Resident Evil was a huge one. That really brought people back to zombies um, in a big way because before that, you know, it was seen as like a classic movie monster, the zombie, and then Resident Resident Evil made it cool for all the kids. Well, it's yeah, I mean, and that's happened before, and we'll talk about at some point. We'll do a um, an appreciation of John Carpenter because Carpenter kind of went through a, a little bit of the same thing. But um, so that's the themes, and the I do recommend the unrated version, even though don't pay that much more for it because it's right. you know, like I said, you're only getting two and a half minutes. Um, you you brought about the the actors here and the characters. Um, I really like Dennis Hopper in this mm-hmm. as Kaufman. Yeah, you have no right. Yeah, that's his favorite oh, catchphrase. That was He's fantastic. That was great. He's always good. I mean, even in the Mario movie, he makes a funny villain. He's he's just captivating to watch. Um, 
I think it's just because something about him is is simultaneously so charming, but also so unsettling. He seems like a really slimy, like, grease bag kind of guy in this movie. <laughs> um, like, when he's trying to woo John Leguizamo, you know, even when he's he's calling a hit on John Leguizamo, basically, I won't be needing this man anymore. He's still very suave, and, and you know, like, everything is below him. Um, he's fantastic. I mean, even when he's threatened to you know, with missiles, he's going to be blown up. He's, he's not willing to pay money. He, he sends somebody to go kill the guy instead of just paying the money that he obviously has. He's so, he's so greedy. Um, and I think yeah, he's definitely in a, in a world where how much does money really mean at that point outside of yeah, not a I'm, lot. And I love how John Leguizamo is so obsessed with getting his money. He's like, you owe me $40,000. Now I'm asking for 5 million. What's he going to use that on knickknacks at the homeless, you know, colony? Yeah, What's he going to buy? If Fiddler's green is gone. Then money is, is exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's, and that's exactly what Riley, one of our human characters says. If, um, if John Leguizamo blows up Fiddler's Green, there's nothing left. You know, like the whole society is going to collapse because of the trading with Fiddler's Green and and all of the um, you know, the economy basically is going to just completely be destroyed because then it'll just leave everybody to fend for themselves from the zombies. Because guess who's funding the military that's protecting them? Dennis Hopper. So if he's dead. You know, there's no point. I, obviously, John Leguizamo hadn't thought through this. He was just angry because Dennis Hopper ordered a hit on him. Well, and, it was just going to be revenge, and then he was going to go to Cleveland for some reason. I don't know why yeah. Cleveland. Anyway, he's like, um, I'm going up north, and they're like, there's nothing there. He's like, that's the idea. Well, whatever. That was Riley, yeah, who said. Oh, that okay. Was that Riley? Riley oh. was the one to get away from everyone, that's, and it was that's right. And it was John Leguizamo's character who wanted to get to Cleveland. But just for a minute on Dennis Hopper, I think the reason why Hopper pulled off almost anything that he's in is because I think he's got the chops and he's got that edge and always mm-hmm. had, you know, even though, you know, by the time he made his comeback in the eighties and I was a big fan, even before he made his comeback, um, easy rider apocalypse. Now, you know, I thought he was amazing in those movies. So when he got clean and sober and he comes back and he makes first the Texas chainsaw massacre two, um, and then he makes the river's edge and then he does Hoosiers and then he does blue velvet, all very different roles. And he pulls it off so very well, you know, and then in the nineties, he did a lot of schlock, you know, speed, you know, I do like speed, but it's face it. He did a lot of schlock in the nineties, but right. I'm still a big Dennis Hopper fan. I could have used more of him in this movie. I, I would mm-hmm. love to have had, you know, another, even 10 minutes of Dennis Hopper. But you have to admit the way he goes out is glorious. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We'll, we will talk about the ending because yeah. Sure. Um, I, I enjoy John Leguizamo as, as Cholo, which is a racist name. By yeah. the there are some racist names in here. You can argue big daddy and Cholo are, you know, not really appropriate. Um, sure. I, I know that Romero lived through the sixties and a lot of people, I know Romero thinks he was justified in doing it because Romero, a lot of people assume Romero is Italian. Actually, he's Hispanic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, well, the name Romero, that's a Hispanic name. So yeah, but I guess people, people just up thought he was Italian in New York. Sure, sure. Yeah. And I, that might be just because of the of the movement that he was a part of, that horror horror movement um, that was happening. Of course, you also had spaghetti westerns and all that. But European influence was very strong during the 70s, uh, late 60s and, and 70s. And I, I feel like that's probably um, after his childhood. I feel like that's probably where the assumption comes from. 
Yeah, but John Leguizamo is one of those actors who, I mean, he's obviously talented, but he either gets on my nerves or he nails it. Right. Uh, I think he nails it here. I, you know, I understand there's some problems with his character's choices and all that kind of stuff, but I think just him as an actor, I thought he did a fine job. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I felt his, he's totally in the wrong place mentally. I mean, he's making the, the worst decisions really very selfish, but I kind of wanted him to succeed because I felt like the only reason I really wanted him to blow up Fiddler's Green is because I wanted to see the tower explode. That would have been cool seeing missiles fired at uh, at um, Dennis Hopper. But uh, I, don't I don't think know. after 9-11 that was going to happen, buddy. Oh, no, no, no. Probably, that's exactly. I think that that's what I was thinking, too. When he's about to fire them and then he doesn't, I was like, ooh, yeah, probably bad timing. Yeah, that um, was not going to happen. Get, that, that may have been in the original script, but I don't, yeah, get, that wasn't going to happen in 2005. Right, and we do get some good explosions from uh, Dead Reckoning, I believe it's called, but all I could think of was the, the turtle van from T TMNT, the Shell Razor, as it's called, because it looks like that big armor bus that shoots missiles and stuff. It's uh, the Shell Razor. Um, I was thinking of G.I. Joe from when I was a kid. Oh, uh, G.I. Anyway. Joe. Yep, see... <laughs> This is a very varied movie. It makes you think of a bunch of uh, fond properties. But um, the plot to this movie, kind of all over the place. Like I said, it's hard to explain. A lot of things happen in it that's that's kind of strange. I, I don't really understand. There's some holes in it. Um, so they're feeding people to zombies in this movie. It's like dogfighting. This is a sport, like the Roman Coliseum. Right. They, they, they feed people to zombies. But wouldn't that and don't you think that was the zombie? point? Was that it was that it was like a Roman Colosseum? Roman Colosseum. Kind of yeah, but what doesn't make any sense to me is wouldn't that just create another zombie when that person dies, and then they would have three zombies that they had to do something with? What are they going to do with three zombies? They're just making more zombies. I think they're just going to shoot them. I, I mean, I, I think they would just execute all of them. I think that was the idea, yeah. and it's just it's all just about keeping the masses happy and i think that was and then they're wasting bullets though and you know but whatever i guess it doesn't really matter but um so there's jail in this world too people are thrown into jail um but so a bunch of people sh are shooting each other in that in that um coliseum place a bunch of people are shooting each other but only riley and his friends go to jail <laughs> they're the only people that go to jail and uh none of the gamblers none of the people dealing i'm sure in black market stuff well go to jail. I, I think that's because kaufman doesn't care if there's a black market sure. or all that kind of stuff as long as the masses are satiated he doesn't care and you know as he doesn't care what they do as long as they don't bum rush you know fiddler's green and He's giving them the entertainment. He has that speech, you know, that, like, that's right. guys, where he tells people, oh, yeah. look, I, I did what I had to do. I'm, I'm giving them entertainment. I'm giving them all this, you know. And But the subtext is to keep them off my back so I can live how I want, you know, to live. Um, but they do get thrown in jail, we, we know from the plot, for a couple reasons. That part made sense to me. I mean, Kaufman basically doesn't want Riley to leave because he's his, his backup for Cholo. If Cholo bails, he's he needs Riley to become his scavenger and his paramilitary leader. Um, and that's why he takes Riley's car, you know, and that's why he has him right. thrown in jail also because they shoot. And there's another one. The, is it the little man instead of the big man or, or the little guy instead of the big guy who's running that kind of underground, yep. you know, uh, zombie fight, you know, they all call him, they all call him the, the little man, except for, um, uh, I don't remember what her character's name is. Uh, the the woman, the girl that was thrown into the pit. Um, the Slack. Okay, yeah, 
yeah and she becomes like she becomes a good character i think later on um but at this point she's kind of flat um but later on she becomes useful like with manning the the miniguns in the dead reckoning but um well and she was uh, also having a good time according to reports from the set Aja argento was having a blast because she is she an argento yeah it's dario's daughter really i had no idea yeah that's dario's daughter and so, you know, she is she grew up with Romero and she grew up on like she was a little girl, you know, um, watching her dad premiere Dawn of the Dead in Europe, his cut and all that kind of mm. stuff. And so, yeah, she she had a blast with this. And that's all. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad to hear that. And I'm 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 always happy to hear when somebody runs a good set and their actors have fun because it's no fun whenever you hear, oh, your favorite your favorite director or your your favorite um you know, the actor is a jerk, you know what I mean? They, they, nobody had fun on their set. Like, the, like the well, Shining... some stuff has come out about Argio Argento that's not very flattering. Yeah. But as a person, but, but that being said, sure. um, no, I've never heard anybody criticize Romero on a set, um, at least not that I can think of, because most people just loved working with him. I, the only right. person that comes to mind is he did um, The Dark Half with timothy hutton and i guess he was a pain in the butt but other than that most people seem to have loved working with with george and agio was no exception i i I agree with you once her character gets going i enjoy her character um simon baker as riley Mm -hmm. i thought he was kind of vanilla he was fine but not he's a he's in the same way um i think a lot of people complain about uh daisy ridley's character in the star wars movies they're just kind of like a Joe Schmo that just so happens to be the center of the movie and they just happen to like everything happens to hinge on them. I feel like that's that's more of like a adept criticism of Riley because he's kind of just a regular guy, you know. He's white with brown hair and he's about six foot. He's, he's average all over, but he has some good lines and some good moments, I guess. I mean, but he could be interchangeable. Yeah, there are some lines I kind of cringed at too. It's like his, we'll get to Charlie well, here in a second when Charlie... Yeah shoot somebody and you know and he says you know that was a uh, that was a good shot and they argue about no there's no such and it's riley there's no such thing as a good shot but it was a nice shot and it was, was no, no such no, thing no, as a nice says, shot it was a good yeah, shot no such thing as a nice shot it's that's very 2000s though i feel like those little quips are very rad and super emo skater dude um and <laughs> well, speaking of skater dude remember you um, were you were two years old when this happened. Rad and the rad and rad is is not, eight. So <laughs> not rad. What's the word I'm looking for? Epic or something like that. Like gnarly would be more the word. Gnarly till um, eighties too. That's okay. okay. You're showing your age. It's look. It's um. It, it's but it's he just struck me as vanilla. But you you you're, sure. you're okay with him. He's fine. Uh, he's he's not the most interesting character. I think we get that with Sholo and with um. Big Daddy, obviously. We we've hardly touched on the zombies, but um, oh, we'll get human Don't human worry. characters are fine. They're never really like what people remember the most. When you come back to movies like Dawn of the Dead, you remember the human characters the most. But with Day of the Dead, I feel like, with the exception of Captain Rhodes and the main character, I feel like most of the humans are just there to be zombie fodder. Um, but with this movie, you really care about some of them, uh, even though. Uh, Charlie has some has some cringy lines in there. He also has some really great like reoc- I love the you just look at me. You can tell. You know what I mean. I love that that he keeps talking. You know, um, I'm and starving. A, just look at me. You can tell. I, I'm the burn was bad. Just look at me. You can tell. He's always talking about that. But it was Robert Joy as Charlie, who was also in uh, Waterworld with Dennis Hopper. 
Oh, really? Wire yeah. world. So wow. they were they were buddies as well. But yeah, yeah, another schlock kind of thing. Charlie's character was one of those. I mean, it was kind of an of mice and men thing going on there with Riley and Charlie, which I guess was okay. It was all right. It didn't. I mean, Robert Joy did a good job as Charlie, but I do I agree. There were some of his lines I thought were a little cringeworthy. I mean, I, right. tell me what you think of this line. All right, so he says, you know, nothing bad has ever happened to me. And Agio Argento's character Slack is, and then later he says, my brother was eaten by zombies. And she goes, yeah. well, that's something bad that happened to you. And she, he goes, well, it didn't happen to me. It happened to him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty, that's a smart aleck line. Um, um, with Charlie, I was confused. Everybody kept saying, you know, that he was mentally handicapped, but he didn't really seem to be. I guess he might have maybe been, he was supposed to be played off as, as, as on the autistic spectrum on the autism spectrum, but he didn't really, I mean, he's a, he's a sharp guy. I mean, he's, he's making, he's obviously really great with a gun, but everybody kept talking about him. Like he was some, like, I don't know. Like I, I didn't get that. I don't know what they were trying to do with Charlie. Like well, he didn't when, seem when mentally I, deficient. When I first saw it, but though I'll come back and question this in a second. The first time I saw it, I remember thinking the same thing that it seems like, yeah, he's on the spectrum. Um, but at the same time, if the zombie apocalypse broke out in 1968, do they even really understand what that means Exactly. at this point? And so they, they would probably be using, especially some of the people in this movie, sure. using kind of derogatory terms. Now, that being said, one of my complaints, I guess we can go ahead and jump into it and then we'll come back and talk about Big Daddy. But one of my complaints about that is the universe is not consistent here. Mm-hmm. Um, guns seem to develop, weapons seem to develop yeah. in the zombie apocalypse. They talk about in this movie video games. Yep. So somebody has developed video games. Well, in the there were video apocalypse. games in the the early video games in the sixties. Well, you, like you didn't even get you didn't even get Pong till nineteen seventy two. Sure. And I I'm I will always wondered about that. Is Night of the Living Dead set in the future? You know what? It could have been. I don't know. That's a good question. But because it's, you're right, it is supposed to be the same universe, and it, it seems like only, not, less than fifty years have gone by since the inciting incident. Because there are people who still remember before the um, and even um, oh man, I don't remember her name. Uh, Argento's daughter. I need to have my IMDb up. Um, she her says name, that she, her name was Flack, if I remember correctly, but I may be yeah. wrong. Right. She says she remembers before the apocalypse. So that means she was alive um, before then, which means it's probably been less than 20 years, uh, judging by her age. So I'm wondering how long has gone, how much time has passed since Night of the Living Dead? Because it's so strange. Night of the Living Dead, obviously, that's the ground zero. That's the first day um, or the first night, I guess. But and then we see dawn is a little past that, and day is even further past that. But it it seems like not that that far has gone by. I hear people saying that that day is only a, like a month a month or a few months after dawn. So I don't know how much time has passed. I'm wondering if it's supposed to be real life time, like since the inciting incident has passed, like the like years have just progressed normally as since the movies were coming out but then you're right how do they develop new guns and video games and new inventions i mean we see paintball guns and like neon like just very modern stuff i mean like don't you see like a rusted nissan like a new like a 2004 nissan or whatever there i'm wondering how 
I'm and, wondering and, and like and like yeah crotch rocket motorcycles and all, yep. all that kind of stuff so yeah i i think we've probably put in more um oh, the production than, design. than <clears throat> we've in the timeline than than uh than george romero did but that sure that that being said i i i don't know and i'll come back to the universe thing because there's there is of course a big indicator in here but i do want to talk about big daddy for a second and I think I already know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, and this can be our launching point for this discussion. Are you Team Bub or Team Big Daddy? Well, you know I'm Team Bub. Um, I love Big Daddy, but um, Bub is just so endearing. I don't know. Bub is, I mean, Big Daddy is more serious. He's like a leader. He means business. He's killing people, like, brutally. Bub is more of like a sly you know what I mean? He lets other zombies do his work for him. He's not into any of that brutality and ripping people apart. He'll let a horde of of other zombies kill Captain Rhodes. He'll just salute to him. You know what I mean? He's kind of cheeky. Um, Big Daddy will just rip people limb from limb and shoot him. And he means business. I mean, he has a, a few kind of funny um, sort of moments, but for the most part, he's all business. And I, I feel like a lot of people like that better, that he's a serious zombie and not just this kind of goofy, endearing, kind of like um I think of Harry and the Hendersons. He's kind of that, Bub is that kind of character where he's this monster, but also like you can tell he's a human underneath there and he's got a lot of human emotions and you kind of feel for him even though he's totally nonverbal. Um, but Big Daddy is even kind of vocal. I mean, he he talks to the other zombies in his own way. Um, he kind of, he almost does like velociraptor grunts to them, doesn't like, he? Yeah, he does. And he'll scream. And, and like when he's trying to shake, when they're all looking up at the fireworks and he's like shaking, them, he's like, oh, like he's trying to conversate with them. Sort of like what we see cavemen in movies do, that kind of thing where he's kind of taught like gar- garbling. But um, he he's very vocal for a zombie. And he, he does things that I'm sure people were shocked to see zombies doing, even though we saw, even from Night of the Living Dead, a zombie pick up a, a rock, pick up a boulder and smash a window with it. Um, people nowadays think of zombies more like walkers from The Walking Dead, where they just kind of walk in a straight line and whoever happens to be there is going to be eaten. Um, but in this movie, especially, they're using they're using weapons. You know, they're picking up stuff. They're turning handles and stuff. Um it's, I mean, I didn't even know they had the motor function to be able to put their hand inside of a, you know, hold a gun and pull the trigger, but apparently they can do that, and they know that, like, I'm sure if it was your first time shooting a gun, you, you'd be scared by the recoil, but no, these zombies are just naturals, but, um... Yeah, you don't, rigor mortis seems to have no effect here, you know, sure. or or very little effect, but... Um, yeah, there is, I don't know, I guess you could defend George Romero by saying, well... If you've actually studied, you know, evolution and not just what people generally think about evolution, Darwin's theory of evolution and and neo-Darwinists have kind of that it's evolution comes in fits and spurts. It's not just a straight Mm -hmm. line. And so maybe so you get the zombies in Night of the Living Dead who are using rocks. Then in Dawn of the Dead, they just appear aimless. And then you get Bub in Day of the Dead. Now you've got them kind of you know, coming together as like revolutionary forces and learning. My only problem with that as somebody who, as a, as somebody who, and I know Romero probably wasn't thinking about it, a nerd like me who watches like these films 20 or 30 <laughs> times. But if I'm not mistaken, there's a point where uh, uh, one of big daddy's hordes catches on fire and the zombie screams. Yep. 
Yeah, how are, how are their nerves working? <laughs> yeah, I remember earlier in the movies and uh, in, in the other movies, they don't seem to be affected by stuff like that. Fire just puts them down. You know what I mean? Like that, they they don't feel the flames. It just kind of slowly erodes your body away. Yeah, I don't know. And then Big Daddy shoots them to put them out of their misery. Right. And right, there's right. a part where a zombie's head gets ripped off. And the zombie is still alive, but to put them out of their misery, Big Daddy steps on the head. I don't know how that works. No, he's a, um, he's a revolutionary, right? I, I think sure. if we go back to what we were talking about, that's a he's a revolutionary. He's a, you know, he's a Shea type. He's a that kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm... I don't know. I'm, I kind of lean a little more towards big daddy myself on the team side, uh, okay. but, I, but I, I hear, but Bub is a sentimental favorite to be sure. Sure. Um, a couple of Easter eggs real quick that you, whether yeah. you like them or found them distracting. Now, I know what you're going to say already. Well, here's the first one. According to Romero, there is only one repeat character in his mm-hmm. dead now, a yep. lot of fans think that's Joseph Pilato. They thought that yep. exactly. It's Tom Savini's character. Yep. The biker he makes the return. Comes back as the biker zombie. Um, yeah. And and he's I thought it would just be a quick cameo whenever I heard about that, like, oh, there he is in a crowd. No, he's on screen for a good twenty seconds as he's killing people. I mean, they want you to see him. He's the focus of the screen in that part. Um, which and I thought was interesting. That, you you find it interesting, not distracting? No, I don't think it's distracting. I mean, it, it makes sense. He would still be out there wandering somewhere, and um, I'm sure zombies can ride motorcycles. I don't, I don't know how that works. But I um, thought he was disemboweled, though. Somehow, he got his jacket zipped back up and his shirt. Yeah, back on. he got his, he got his jacket up. He got his hair fixed. Cause, but you know, it's Tom Savini. He likes to look good on camera, um, even if he's a zombie. Uh, I, and I'm wondering if he did his own effects or Nicotero just uh, no, he did, did not. He, it was Greg Nicotero did them. If you look up the special features on the original DVD are not that great. Like the 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 stuff for Day of the Dead and Dawn of the Dead are really good. Um, but when you get to Land of the Dead, it's only like a 27 minute thing, and it focuses mainly on Greg Nicotero and Tom Savini. But yeah, Savini was just on set for a couple of days to play the zombie and. His um, his protege Nicotero did his and his team did uh, Savini's own makeup. Savini had some you know suggestions, but it was it mm-hmm. was there. They did the makeup. Okay, well that that's that seems cool. I mean, he's letting his you know fly little bird fly, you know that kind of thing. Um, and it wasn't distracting for me to see him cameo. But there are two cameos, which now that I know, ah, uh, now that's them, where I they was are very distracting. Yeah. Um, and I know so, one of them is one of your favorite directors, so... Yeah. Um, well, first of all, we Shaun of the Dead, as many people know, is w- widely considered not just to be one of the best zombie comedies, but one of the best zombie movies in general. It's a sc- genuinely scary movie. The director, Edgar Wright, and its star, Simon Pegg, happened to make a cameo as two zombies being... T- with they're getting their picture taken they're a photo opportunity um chained up to a wall and people are just taking selfies with the zombies um now that i know it's them i can't see anybody else and it's obviously them and i even think um like i feel like that exact design of sean as a zombie was actually an outtake or something from the ending of sean of the dead i feel like he looks exactly like some zombie design i've seen simon pegg in before um 
maybe it was he may have hunting. been because Greg, Greg Nicotero and his team were big fans of Shaun of the Dead. And of course, so was George mm-hmm. Romero. Right. We've yep. you and I have both seen that. We've heard Edgar Wright interviewed and saying we were not making fun of Romero's movies. We were homaging Romero's. We love Romero's movies. And And everybody, I mean, even horror like John Landis and people like that, they're Shaun of the the Dead is not just a funny zombie movie. I mean, it's not just a movie making fun of zombies. It's a funny zombie movie. I mean, it's I would say it's like you mentioned John Landis. John Landis has said American Werewolf in London is not comedy horror. It's horror with comedy. Right. And that's how Shaun of the Dead is. I mean, you look on Letterboxd and in the genre thing, it's horror first, then comedy. Because Shaun of the Dead, not to go off on a tangent, isn't just a comedy. I think there's a lot of drama in there, especially that car scene. I don't know if, you, if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about with oh, yeah. Simon Pegg crying. But there is a lot of, of great emotion. And Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg, really, I, I you can tell that they probably were having a lot of fun being on set and just talking to the people there. And um I'm sure they suggested it. I mean, they were like, you want to be in the movie? And they're like, yes, can we please be zombies? Can we please be zombies in a, in a Romero movie? Um, oh, yeah, I think that was George's idea, if I remember the right interview. Really? He wanted them yeah. to be zombies? He want, he loved Shaun of the Dead so much. They sent him an advanced copy, um, and that. he watched it, and then he called Edgar and said he loved it, and then he asked them to come to to uh, do Land of the Dead. So they flew to Canada to do uh, Land of the Dead, and, and yeah, they always intended to be to be zombies and they loved it. But it's just, you know, when, if you go and listen to the Eli Roth's history of horror podcast, when they interview Edgar Wright, which you and I have listened to is a great interview. Mm-hmm. And Edgar Wright says, it's like, you know, American werewolf in London is one of my favorite movies of all time. And he, that was my point with Shaun of the dead. It was, he says, I, we were making a horror movie with, with a lot of comedy, but it's a horror. Right. Movie. Yeah. And I really admire that. I love when a movie can, um, not make fun of a genre but give love to it and also add in its own kind of thing and that's exactly what um shawn of the dead was it was kind of a reinvigoration of the zombie genre i mean we we hear that edgar wright huge resident evil fan and obviously huge romero uh zombie movie fan so he took all of that and all the new inventions of the zombie and um put them into basically a romero movie with comedy in it and i think it was sort of like abbott and costello where um there are some really horrifying scenes it just so happens that the people in it are funny it's funny people in a horror movie so obviously there's going to be funny dialogue i feel like it's the same way with abbott and costello it was kind of a predecessor to that um but yeah, I'm with you. That's the only thing that 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 Easter egg does kind of knock me out now because it's so obvious once you know. Now, the first time right. I saw it, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. But then once I found out, I was like, yeah. But so that, that takes me to the effects. What did you think of the effects in Land of the Dead? It's a mixed bag. The zombies look awesome. When the gore effects are practical, they look awesome. But... Um, especially when watching this HD, it's very obvious that there's a lot of CGI blood, that uh, old uh, mist, you know, that CGI mist that people love to put in there, like um, like where it'll be a blood spray, and it just looks like this choppy, low-res, like, red mist coming out the back of somebody's head when they get shot. There's a lot of that in this movie. I, I think it's really distracting whenever a zombie gets shot and you can see an obvious CGI blood come out of me and it doesn't match the lighting at all. It's just thrown on top of it. Um, and that that really sucks because I realize that it's cheaper to do that. And I think even Rob Zombie does the same thing. I was hearing, I don't remember which um, episode it was, but I was listening to HMP one time and Dr. Shock was talking about how in um, 
one of the Rob Zombie movies, and Rob Zombie loves to do practical effects. He used CGI blood because it just saves so much money and time, you know, from cleanup and making the blood in an application right. to just throw in a CGI effect later. But it, it it is really distracting when you have such great practical effects on the display to then distract from that with CGI. Um, I feel like I don't know. It, there are some great moments. Like, um, I'm thinking of the grenade kill whenever a soldier's arm is cut off with a with a grenade in it. He has a grenade in his hand, and the arm falls to the ground, and then his body falls on top of the arm, and then he's exploded. Um, and that's all practical. You can tell it's practical. Um, and you can tell it's just like a dummy, you know, being blown up with, with innards inside of it. But that's cool. I like that kind of thing. Um, and there, there's also a part where the skater dude gets ripped apart, sort of like uh, Captain Rhodes, um, and that's practical, seemingly. Um, I mean, you can't really see it because it's so dark yeah. in that scene. Hey, Greg but... Nicotero, they, I mean, when they interviewed Nicotero, I mean, he tried to do as many practical effects as he could. They sure. were just, they could not, the horde of zombies, all the supporting zombies, that had to be CGI, they said, because they just couldn't afford that many extras or find that mm-hmm. many extras or make up that many extras. Um, and the other thing is the, all the exteriors of Fiddler's Green, the tower yep. is CGI. Could yeah. you tell that one? Yeah, I could tell that more so than what I was surprised with is when the people are walking in the empty streets, that's all CGI. They're walking on a, on a green screen set basically. And there's like buildings and like the big cityscape added onto that, which I thought was interesting, kind of like a map painting, um, like how they did with Star Wars, um, which wasn't distracting, but um, there are a few shots where it's obvious that it was filmed on like a sound stage, and that it's green screen. But a lot of it is shot in Canada, shot in location, you know, on the ground. And right. those scenes are the best, I think. Whenever it, you're not bogged down with CGI, like a giant horde of zombies, you know, basically just 3D models of like a dark, shadowy. Uh, character model from a god's eye view and a giant crowd um but it definitely when it's practical it's a lot better and that's how it always is the practical is always better so that's what they choose to show you close up and i think they do a good job balancing the cgi from afar and the practical effects up close they really use their budget to their advantage yeah i uh you know i i can tell some of the cgi that being said this is not like Van Helsing. Mm-hmm. Oh, ugh. Hugh Jackman. Yeah, this is not this is not that level of CGI. This is not Attack uh-uh. of the Clones level CGI, right? Why did you have to remind me of Van Helsing? <laughs> wasn't that <laughs> do, the beginning of the Dark moment? Universe originally? No, or was that Dracula Untold? Oh, Dracula Untold. Ah, oh, no. What have I done? <laughs> and the mummy with Tom Cruise? No. Oh, yeah. Th- that was the beginning of the Dark Universe, but or supposedly. But I, I think that of the practical effects, and there are a couple times even the practical effects, I can see, you know, the mechanical zombie kind of thing going on. But overall, I thought Nicotero did a good job. Yeah, I'm wondering. There was one practical effect. There was a zombie at the beginning of the movie who was this uh, female zombie really thin frame, gaunt looking. And it kind of reminded me of that half zombie in Return of the Living Dead. You know, the being dead hurts, you know, brains, that zombie that's on the on the slab. I'm wondering if that was a reference to it because it looks exactly like that zombie that they're they're interrogating I, in Return of 
I don't know. I don't. That's a good question because I don't think Nicotero worked on that. But it'd be interesting. I don't. I, I don't he know. Did, he did. I don't think he worked on Return of the Living Dead. But I'm wondering if, um, that it was inspired by that because it do, it, it looks it. exactly like it. This thin kind of pinkish woman, gaunt frame, kind of looks like a skeleton. Um, looks a lot like that. And the zombies in this are varied. And movies past, they all kind of look the same. Um, maybe not so much with Day of the Dead, but with Dawn of the Dead, you know, they've all just got that gray makeup on. With this movie, they're all different shapes and sizes. You know, they're fat zombies. There are zombies that are, like, decomposed, so they're basically hobbling skeletons. They're all different stages of decomposition, and I think that's really interesting. Keeps you on your toes, because you never know what shape a zombie is going to be next. You got half zombies, and uh, some, I think there's even a part where it's just, like, like you said, there's a disembodied, like I was talking about earlier with Big Daddy stepping on the disembodied head. That head is still alive. I'm not sure how that works. But um, uh, different stages of zombies. I think it's really interesting. Nicotero was really just having fun. It's like a playground. Well, yeah. And according to Tom Savini, Nicotero got the same direction from George Romero that he got in Dawn and Day was just think of ways to kill people and have fun. And so right. I, I think you can see that. Well, the I, I don't want to bag the effects. I, I thought overall, especially for 2005, for a movie of this scale, I thought it was I thought it was well done. It, you know, yeah, there are parts that I complain about as well. But overall, I thought it was it was well done. I, I really respect KNB and, and, and what they've done over the years. Now, this was a, a box office success, a minor success for George Romero. I mean, it had a budget of like 19 million. It made 46 million. Um and it was a critical success. I think it has like 75% on Rotten Tomatoes or something like yeah, that. Yeah, um, critical success with some people. On, on Letterboxd, it's got a 2.8, so not not exactly a glowing review. I think a lot of people are revisiting it now with um, a renewed appreciation for Day of the Dead and are thinking this is a disappointment. But you have to remember that this was the first movie in, what, 20 years from the Living Dead franchise? Yes. It, um, so it's crazy. I mean— it's sort of like the new, like when Star Wars came back with Force Awakens. I mean, people were flocking to it because um, this is the king of zombie series. You know, this is what d does it right until we get to survival of the dead. Ugh. But anyways, um, uh, well, we'll this is a series that, that does it right. But, um, but among that critical success, I mean, Roger Ebert praised it, but also John Landis and Guillermo del Toro have gone out of their way to talk about how much they love this movie. What was Guillermo del Toro doing at that point? I feel like he. I, I think when he was. When did Pan's Labyrinth come I mean, out? Yeah, I can't remember, but I think this this was after he had done obviously, Chronos uh, Mimic, Blade Two, right. and I think he may have done one of the Hellboy movies at this point. Mm -hmm. That's interesting because I I feel like there are, there are a lot of moments in this movie, specifically with the human relations that. Um, I don't. I don't know. It feel. It felt very much like his work when you mentioned that. Um, just the the vibe I was getting from it. Um, maybe I'm wrong in that. I'm not sure, but I can see why this would inspire him. This kind of mini epic with this little uh section. This it's like a little vignette. Just one instance of what the world was like during the zombie apocalypse. Um. But yeah, I'm glad that people liked it and that this was a, a hit for for Romero. I'm wondering if that's why he went on to make three movies within the span of ten years right after it, when usually he would just do one per decade. Well, yeah, because I think it was a hit, uh, and so then he gets uh, to move on. We'll talk about that uh, next week <coughs> if I can get over my coughing fit. Um, 
So what else do you want to talk about on, uh, on Land of the Dead? Uh, just a few things. Uh, just some things I noticed that are kind of, when I was writing notes, I was kind of being pessimistic and a jerk. You know, I was just pointing out all the stuff that I thought was weird and inconsistent. Um, the skater dude. Okay. If you've ever tried to skate on a street that hasn't been cleaned or is really bumpy or rocky, you'll know that every five seconds you hit something that'll make you trip and fall off your board. This guy is skating around the apocalypse. Like, how practical is that? How many hills are there in, like, Ontario? Yeah, I think that's just the production designer trying to be, quote, hip, you know? So, yeah, I mean, there are nitpick things like that. We've talked about some of them, you know, but I don't— I don't want to seem like I'm or you and I are nitpicking this to death. No. Right. I mean, yeah, there are some things that confuse me when I watch it. We've talked about, well, how did society evolve? Um, did the zombie apocalypse kind of, you know, kind of wane and then explode again? Is it kind of like a, the Black Plague through the Middle Ages? Is it that kind of thing? I, I don't know, you know, and I don't think Romero put that much thought into. I always thought he probably thought every da- dead movie he made was his last one. I I I would guess. Right. I would yeah. guess. But uh, there are a lot of moments. We talked about the CGI earlier. I mean, it's not that bad, but there are a few moments that definitely are noticeable. Like another one I wrote down, not just the blood, but um, the scene where the zombie, it's a headless priest. And then the, the priest hurls his head back up onto the neck stump and bites a guy. First of all, the, obviously it's, it's CGI, but how does that work? How do you have a detached head? You shake your your shoulders a little bit. The head comes up, lands on the stump, and then you have use of your jaw muscles oh, and you I, can bite. Yeah, I think that's just Nicotero going, huh, huh. You know, it'd be cool. Yeah, um, Jesus and butthead. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah, um, I think that's pretty much how. Yeah, it and then also there was a scene. This is a practical effect, but um, that there. there are, shining flashlights on the ground and then they come to a boot and they think someone's there and they look up and it's just the like the leg the severed leg i feel like that was stolen from jurassic park with the the hand on the shoulder that's Um, that's been done several times before yeah Right. So I, I feel like just as much as this movie was original and had a lot of original things going for it, it had a lot of homages and um, references to stuff. I mean, uh, even references to earlier dead films, obviously, with Tom Savini and, and a lot of the, tr- the returning tropes. Um, OK, there's one moment in this movie where there's a natural Wilhelm scream like it's not the, the soundbite, the Wilhelm scream. It's somebody recreating it. Um, they, there's a soldier. Uh, who gets who gets like shot by one of the zombies and they scream and it sounds almost exactly like the Wilhelm scream but you can tell it's a, like a natural version of that like somebody actually recreating right. it um, which I found, found thought was I, really fun. Going on what you're saying, I mean, it would be interesting given that they were going to use a lot of green screens anyway. Mm-hmm. It, I think it would have been interesting and to have set this in say like the early eighties or sometime around the same time as day of the dead. Sure. And you CGI did it that way instead of trying to make people look like they've dressed, like they just walked off, you know, set of whatever CW, you know, show was going on at that time. The Hills. They were in a ska punk band. Well, just whatever at the time. And so I I think that would have been more interesting, but I doubt that, Whoever, I think it was Universal, you know, which floated the $19 million. They probably wouldn't have gone. The 80s weren't 
the eighties weren't back in style yet. We got that with, with the twenty tens yeah. with stuff like Stranger Things. The eighties has become hip now, and I think we're even moving into the nineties now. Well, yeah, uh, with that but I'm not even talking about being hip. I just think it would be interesting. I watched last night, rewatched last night Zodiac. You know, yep. Dave Fincher's Zodiac, which I think 70s. does a fantastic si- job 60s. of 60s and 70s. 60s, right. You know, it kind of runs from 68 to actually into the 80s. And I, I think it, Fincher did a fantastic job recreating that. And that's only two years after this movie. So, you know, it would, I, you know, it would have been there. But I doubt Universal would have given him as much money. So we, we, we have the movie we have. And so what do you think of the movie we have? I mean overall what do you think i mean we've nitpicked we've talked about what we like we like dennis hopper you know we like big daddy um the message whether you agree with the political message or not you know to me that's never the point you know i could i could care i mean unless your message is just something completely repulsive like you know Mm -hmm. pedophilia or something then then i've got a problem with you but i mean you know but if it's you know if it's just a kind of mainstream left or mainstream right or middle of the road kind of political message i don't care if i agree with it or not if you present it well what do you think of the whole package here and yeah there's too much cgi but they felt they had to do it but what do you think of land of the dead as a whole i'm happy with it i think it's a um I think it's a fun movie in the same way that um, Dawn is during those mall scenes. It, it's fun. It's a fun watch. There are a lot of great moments that make you jump out of your seat and cheer, um, especially what happens to Dennis Hopper's character with the with the car explosion, which is awesome. Um, That's Daddy, one, one thing I wanted to get is the yeah, ending. What Big did Daddy you rolls a Molotov cocktail into the gas station, into the place where Dennis Hopper is. He spilled gasoline everywhere, and then he rolls a Molotov cocktail down there and blows up Dennis Hopper and um, John Leguizamo, Cholo zombie, um, which, which I thought is was hilarious. Very, if you think about it, I mean, is a very revolutionary thing to do, right? Blow up the yeah. guy in his own limo and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I find it interesting that the movie fakes you out sometimes. Like, you think Big Daddy figured out something really, really smart. There's a scene wherever um, he's got the jackhammer in his hand, and he disconnects it from the power, and it doesn't work anymore. And then he looks at the building, and I was like, oh, is he going to disconnect the power from the big building? No, he just uses the jackhammer to smash the window. That's all he was thinking about. He wasn't thinking about disconnecting the power, which was what I thought he was going to do. But, um, uh, yeah, they're, they're smart to a certain degree. I think Big Daddy's really working to piece thing to see it's like a child in a way but you start from an elementary level and he's growing and his understanding of how the world works um but yeah dennis hopper gets blown up all the main humans except for cholo are all safe and they're living living in the dead reckoning you know kicking zombie butt and the interesting thing is when you know dennis hopper kaufman sends extra soldiers to go with riley and and slack Yep. And all that kind of stuff. I thought, well, all of them are just going to be like the guys who wear red shirts in the original Star Trek. They're all dead. But only one I, of them dies. The Samoan yeah, guy. Some survive. of them survive. I thought that was kind mm-hmm. of interesting. Yeah. So. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was interesting that the Samoan guy turned on the. So the the lady was going to follow Kaufman's orders and kill them, but the Samoan guy is like, nah. You know what I mean? I'm I'm sticking with these guys. These guys seem like they know what's up. So he he. Uh, punches out the, the other soldier and just sticks with um uh the main characters riley and his gang um so that's interesting what happened to the characters this is kind of a happy ending akin to day of the dead where um 
you know, it's discovered that the, some of the humans did survive and now they're on to greener, you know, fields and bluer skies. And that's an interesting thing to me because we see with Night of the Living Dead, obviously. And originally it was Dawn of the Dead that this is oftentimes in the zombie apocalypse, you don't get your way. So happy ending. Wish this series would have ended here. <laughs> Fun movie. Oh, no well, we'll talk about that series. next week. But so what do you what do you rate? land of the dead sure well i would give this a seven out of ten i would say that this is a high priority rental maybe maybe a a shaky buy um if if the special features aren't that great maybe don't buy it just um just rent it and watch it every once in a while it's definitely worth a watch on a big screen and just having fun you know hanging out uh not anything revolutionary per se but it's a fun romero movie and that's really all you want I, fi- I I do like the fact that he finally got, I think, the cast that he deserved for his vision. And like I said, I do think they, they pulled it off. I, I would love to have seen this cast in, say, Day of the Dead or something like that. Um, but um, imagine Dennis Hopper as Frankenstein. But I... Um, but I, I'm coming in just a little higher than you because I think, I, I think that the first time I saw it, if you would have asked me, I would have said probably a five out of ten. But now wow. I'm going all the way up. Now I'm I'm in between either seven point five or an eight. And mm-hmm. for now, I'll say seven point five. Um, I would say that you know I think it's worth a a buy if you can find it. Like I was looking around thinking about buying it, but then it was on cable, so I re- I just recorded it mm-hmm. and rewatched it. And I watch the special features on YouTube. Um, but, you know, if it's if it's like if you can pick it up for like six, seven bucks, I think it's worth it. It's worth that. Yeah, I would say less than ten dollars. Sure. Pick it up. But if it's more than that, just rent it. OK, so that's uh, those are that's our recommendation for the land of the dead. I, I would definitely say it's worth if you if you got like I used to when I was every once in a while when I was like 15, 16 and there'd be a snow day or something like that. Me and my buddies mm-hmm. would gather around and just watch horror movie after horror movie and eat pizza. I, I think that Night of Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, and Land of the Dead is, is worth a binge, don't you? Yeah, watch this, especially this movie. Maybe not, um, well, yeah, Dawn. Night of the Living Dead isn't really a crowd pleaser. I've found with kids my age, um, they get bored during the scenes where it's just people talking. But this movie is definitely, watch this with friends. Um, I would have never noticed a few of the really funny things, like the fact that they call the girl in the group and, and Dead Reckoning Pretty Boy. <laughs> They call the girl pretty boy, which I thought was really, she's like one of the boys, you know, the apocalypse destroys all gender barriers. But um, I wouldn't have caught that unless somebody had pointed it out to me. You know, you're when you're just trying to have fun, you'll point out funny things. So that that's always like I did that with Total Recall, too. Um, Land of the Dead is a fun party movie. Just gather around with a couple of friends and watch it, point out all the fun things, but also appreciate it for all of its merits. I agree. I, I think it's a I think it's a, a a good film and I think that despite its flaws, I think it's it's worth it because all you know, we can sit here and nitpick it, but and I think we can nitpick this one more than the first three, but at the same time I think the acting is better. I think a lot of the effects, you know, are really cool. So I you know, I'm I'm down with it. So seven point five again for me. So when we wrap up, where can they find you on the socials, buddy? Well, on Twitter, I'm at Kane underscore Hero12. That's K-A-I-N-E underscore Hero12. On Letterboxd, I'm at Kane Hero. And I've got a YouTube channel, which is linked in both those sites. Also of note, uh, Father and Son Watch Horror Movie YouTube channel. 
I post all the episodes there. I mean, I don't know why you would want to watch, you know, the podcast on there, but I do have a bunch of video ideas planned for the YouTube channel, um, more video essays and movie reviews, stuff like that. So be on the lookout for that. I'm, I'm going to try to get a video out uh, by Halloween. I'm going to try to do some videos too, some unboxing and some Blu-ray reviews because I've got some new ones in uh, that I can't wait to unwrap, including a new Mario Bava box set and some other awesome. things. So, um, and yeah, you can find me on Facebook, Matthew Rawlings, on Twitter and Letterboxd and Instagram as Pastor Matt R. And as Jackson said, you can find us on YouTube, also fatherandsonwatchhorror.com. Working on a couple of blogs now that hopefully will be out before Halloween, one on the top 100 horror scenes of all time, and another one on what exactly constitutes a slasher film. So I've been mm-hmm. kind of wrestling with with that. <clears throat> Hopefully those will be out soon. Uh, we are also, as Father and Son Watch Horror, on Twitter and Instagram. We have a closed Facebook page. All you have to do is friend me and let me know that's why you're friending me, because sometimes I get friend requests. <laughs> And 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 they want to be added, and I'm like, I don't know who you are, so to let me know who you are, that that's why I don't want somebody putting up there like, hey, Ray Bans for sale, um, you know, stuff like that. So let me know who you are, and I'll add you to the Facebook group. So uh, please rate and review us on iTunes, and share this podcast on Twitter and with any of your friends who are into horror. Um, we have some guests coming up uh, again in November, at least planned for right now. Uh, lots of stuff to cover between now and the end of the year before we do our best of list. Uh, let Lots of horror yet to come this year. Uh, Parasite, mm-hmm. Nightingale, The Lighthouse, stuff I'm looking forward to. Blumhouse is doing a remake of Black Christmas. Who knows, buddy? Yeah. You, come, you come home for break, we may have to do a Black Christmas versus Black Christmas versus Black Christmas episode. I think we all know Black Christmas is going to win out of Black Christmas or Black Christmas. Um, <laughs> so you're uh, saying but... the original is what you're saying. Yeah, uh, Black Christmas, yeah. Okay, all the only right. Black Christmas. The Black Christmas. <clears throat> well, we'll give it a chance. It's Blumhouse. They, you know, I know they're hit or miss, but they, it's they've not, done some good stuff. It's not like the trailer gives away the big twist in it or anything. I, and that's why I do not watch trailers. I. Yep. That's why I heard I do not well, watch Well, it was trailers. promoted on Twitter. I saw it promoted on Twitter, and I was like, oh, I'll watch it. I, and they gave away I the twist. I go right through it. I don't, I don't look. If I know I'm going to see a movie, I don't watch the trailer anymore. I avoid right. it like I even go into the cinema five minutes late so I don't have to see it. <laughs> um, but if you have something that you would like for us to cover, just hit us up on Twitter and let us know. Next yeah. week, we will wrap up our George Romero uh, Dead Movies run with both Diary of the Dead and Survival of the Dead. So that's... Stop. <laughs> you, just came, you just came from being ducted into the National Honor Society and you're making fart noises. Yeah. Uh, they, they're... I mean, that's a sign of intelligence, right? Okay. So we'll wrap that up next week. Until then, have a great Halloween season, everyone. So Jackson, say goodbye to the good people. Goodbye. And remember, stay safe, because if you get bitten by a zombie, Luigi will shoot missiles at you from the TMNT shell razor. Oh, boy. All right, folks. Uh, he's, had a, he's, he's had a long day. Uh, <laughs> Right. Remember, folks, the family that watches horror together stays together. See you next time. Thanks for listening.